the United States of America is called a Christian nation. Christian nation. Christian nation. It's time for a moment of clarity with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Let us pray that this nation does come to a moment of clarity. Faith. Faith. Politics, politics, history, history, and current events. Current events. Current events. And now, your host, Pastor Rick. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with a moment on sports, part one. The Detroit Tigers defeated the Pittsburgh Pirates 5-1 this past Wednesday. Miguel Cabrera drove in three runs, the first of which came in the first inning when he crushed a double to plate Robbie Grossman, who also scored on a single by Jamer Candelario in the fifth inning and blasted a solo homer in the seventh inning. Cabrera produced his other two run-scoring plays in the third and fifth innings when he singled twice to send home Akil Badu and Jonathan Scope. Drew Hutchinson earned his first win of the season in relief thanks to two scoreless innings. Derek Holland, Jose Urania, Michael Fulmer, and Gregory Soto combined for four scoreless innings to finish off the Tigers' 66th win of 2021.
Now, here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And good afternoon. And as that states, I'm back. Pastor Rick, Richard Dietering here, joined with my co-host, Edward Bondarenka, and a wonderful guest that I'm looking forward to continuing a conversation that we were having on Ed's show, uh, Captain Benjamin. And before we do that, <clears throat> uh, this past week, <clears throat> this Colonel, Colonel Benjamin. Colonel Benjamin, uh, you, you've been demoted, Colonel. I'm sorry. That's what happens when you leave Ed Show and come on to mine. It's an automatic demotion. Uh, so, uh, but thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I was wondering why you're clearing your throat, and I did as I normally do. I let my mouth talk before my brain kicks in. Um, however, last week uh, we finished up the, the uh, my friends of the Jewish faith finished up uh, uh, Rosh Hashanah's uh, Hashanah Tova. To all my Jewish friends who are coming into Yom Kippur. Um, so uh, that's the Day of Atonement celebration. So my prayers, my prayers for blessing goes out to all my friends of the Jewish faith this coming week. So with that being said, we are remembering 9-11. And we are going to do so by discussing how this came about, how it happened, some really where the United States dropped the ball when it came, comes to... Um, well, our government, <laughs> and uh, take a few minutes out to kind of remember where we were on that day. I remember exactly where I was when the first plane hit. I was getting ready for a township meeting that night, and the news came on the air about this terrible accident in New York. Come to find out it wasn't an accident. Uh, and then we seen another plane come into the towers, and then a plane co coming into the... Uh, uh, Pentagon, and then one in the field in Pennsylvania, and we were under attack. And because of that, we ended up going into war against the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, and we know that that was handled, especially at the end, but uh, handled terribly all along, uh, and not by our great soldiers and military, but by the politicians. So with that being said, let me first say hello to uh, my co-host, Ed. Ed, how are you doing? And thank you for correcting me on that uh, terrible demotion that I gave our guest. But uh, how are you doing today, Ed? I'm doing fine, thank you. You know, I was you were talking about where you were when you first heard the news. And I was listening to Dick Kupke on Trigger Talk, and he had found himself in a similar situation. He was in a conference uh, at work, and... Myself, I was at work and we were in a meeting and I was a maintenance manager at the time. And there was a conversation about a machine that had gone done something really weird the night before. And then somebody came in and said, a plane just hit the World Trade Center. And she left and I we talked about it. And I said, well, I remember when a bomber hit the Empire State Building. During, I don't remember personally, but a bomber hit the Empire State Building during World War II. And then a small plane had hit a high rise in Florida a few years before. So, you know, and the meeting went on and somebody asked, well, what's the chances of that machine doing that again? And I said, oh, it has the same chances if another plane would hit the World Trade Center. And I kid you not, at that moment, 
the same lady comes back in and says a second plane is at the World Trade Center tower. And that's when we knew well, this is not an accident. Something else is going on. Yep. I was that night. I, I was the supervisor of the township at that time. We had a meeting that night that I was getting ready for that morning. And I decided after after the news of the fourth plane um, to cancel that meeting. And there was a gentleman who, who had had a long speech lined up for public comments to say how much he hated me. And he says, oh, you're just canceling the meeting tonight because you didn't want to hear me come at you. And I said, <laughs> my friend, this country's under attack. Yeah. He hadn't heard yet. Oh, oh, we're not under attack. Yeah, you're, you're lying. And uh, but yeah, I remember that day very clearly. Colonel, I almost called my, you corporal just my, for the fun of it, but I didn't, sir. Um, I, do you remember where you were? I do. I was uh, teaching a class, and the uh, the intercom came on and asked all the instructors to turn on their TV sets. Kids sitting in the classroom, and uh, it was obviously not at that moment, but it was. I don't know, maybe maybe half an hour afterwards. So everybody, the TVs came on automatically, and we're getting the the news feed. <clears throat> and of course, the 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 rewind and forward of the plane, the first plane going in, and, and all this, um, with the announcers speaking in the background of what's what's happening, second plane, uh, and so on. One of my students just had a meltdown. Her yeah. hand. Her aunt was working in the building that day. Oh, no. And so, I mean, just, that was just, you know, you see something on the news and, and you're distant from it. You're saying, oh, oh, wow, look at that. But then when you have somebody standing next to you who's got a relative in the building, it really brought it home. Uh, so I think one of those things like Kennedy's assassination that you don't forget, you know. Anyway. Right. Derek, do you Dick remember where you were? I was up in East Lansing. That that's where I was at the time, doing nothing major at the time. Just happened to be up there when I had heard the news. Yeah, and you were going to say, uh, Ed? Oh, Dick was saying on his show that in that meeting he was in when the news of the second plane hit, a guy was looking at his pager and he got up and walked out. And it turned out that guy knew, had a close friend, I believe, or a relative who worked on the top floor of the World Trade Center. So he was concerned for him, but the gentleman found out. It took him a couple of days to find out that uh, the person he knew uh, had actually stopped for donuts to take to the office and got delayed and so avoided it. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, uh, I've got to say this to my audience because I, I, am, I am so proud right now of my grandson. And I was talking to, to the colonel about this earlier. My grandson has just signed the paperwork to... To be a Marine, I, I, you know, I thought I'd have a hard time saying that being the next squid, but you know, I, I can't, I can't push my chest out enough. But my concern, as I told the Colonel, is you know, under this administration and under the current leadership and the generals and everything else, I'm kind of nervous of having my my grandson, who I, I love like my own son, uh, even more so, um, going in under the current administration. And, and while we were on. While we were uh, on break from Ed's show, just before the break, uh, the colonel was talking about the generals. And, and, and Colonel, we're going to get to that conversation again about the leadership in the military in, in Afghanistan and everything else. But I, I need to take this call from Mark. Uh, he took the time to call in and say hello to us. So we'll take this call real quickly from Mark. 
Thank you, Pastor Rick. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to mention so much where I was uh, on the anniversary of September 11th, but it's so ingrained in my mind. But I will make a mention of I was working at the Veterans Hospital in Ann Arbor. We were doing a remodel on that facility, and it ties in to our military now and our, our all they gave so much. Um, and I just want to put a word out to them. Thank you for what you do. Uh, I just want to mention, I want to quote something, and I want to just tie it into where we stand as a country today. I'm quoting, men must be governed by God or they will be ruled by tyrants. Now, uh, we can look at that in two ways. We're an outside attack uh, from outside our borders. Now, we must look at within our borders today that you know, gentlemen, we have tyrants in our government now. We have open borders, which is a domestic attack on our country. So I think we need to correlate that today uh, on all factors. And thank you for taking my call. Oh, thank you for calling, Mark. And uh, appreciate your comment. What we're going to try to do, and folks, this is this is normally a call-in show, and we will open up the phones at least uh, at the second half. But I'm going to just, uh, I, the colonel has so much he has to say, and we have so much to talk about with the colonel. I'm going to just hold off on on phone calls for the first half of the show. Uh, and it's not that I don't love to hear you; I absolutely do. Now that I've spoken longer about that than any of the phone calls I would have taken would have taken, uh, we'll get to the colonel. So, Colonel, we've uh, we've been talking about in an Ed show about the the leadership in the military, those wearing the stars, uh, because a lot of people listen to my show that don't listen to Ed's. They have may have missed <laughs> that opening conversation. Why don't you just lead us into that conversation, Colonel, about uh, the leadership and and that we, we see, saw in Afghanistan? Well, I think what uh, a good carryover would be, we were discussing uh, the, the way you go to war is that you have objectives and that you know when the war is over because you've met those objectives. But when the National Command Authority changes the objectives, then it throws everything into a kilter. Uh, and as it turned out, George Bush had three objectives. You know, he changed the objectives in Afghanistan uh, three times. Um, and, and so then you begin to wonder, well, what, what, took, what took 20 years before we got to the point where we came home with our hats in our hands? Um, and it was primarily because we went there, first of all, to punish those who attacked the United States. Um, and then George Bush changed his attitude and said, well, let's, let's rebuild the country. Well, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and I'm not really sure that the armed forces of the United States, uh, that that's their mandate to build new nations. Uh, but we ended up being there for 20 years and, uh, and nothing worked out quite as well as, uh, <clears throat> but as I said, Earlier, if you were if you were to go back uh, to the very first day that U.S. troops went to Afghanistan, and you were to take a young Marine Lance Corporal off to the side and said, you know, where do you where do you see this is going to end? He would probably tell you, not well. Uh, we right. should have known this because of our history, that because of the history of Afghanistan, we should have known 
this was not a very good idea. Uh, and how do you rebuild a country that never existed in the first place? And so now we're talking about, you know, the first time that we were in Afghanistan, we spent a, a trillion dollars arming these uh, Mujahideen people. And uh, now, now we're back again for a second iteration. We're going to spend another trillion or maybe more uh, arming Afghans to create the Afghan Defense Force. Uh, I mean, just insane amounts of money. For what purpose? Well, obviously, for no purpose. Because that's where we are today. Right. Uh, and we lost, uh, I think, including the uh, coalition partners that we had, close to 4,000 men and women, uh, a lot more injured than that. Uh, a lot more Afghans themselves died. Anybody who's uh, uh, just setting aside the politics of it, if, if you bomb a hut, and kill people inside that had nothing to do because it was an accident, it was wrongly placed, it was poorly called, any number of circumstances, uh, and you've injured people or killed people in there, you, you think those people are going to welcome you and, 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 and say you're their friend? You know, I mean, it was just the whole, you know, this whole operation was a disaster from the very first day. So it doesn't surprise me that we're out of Afghanistan, and we're, we're once again standing with our hat in our hand. Uh, but the problem is, not only was the presidential policies and the national objectives wrong, there were no generals standing in the background who were experts in warfare to say, excuse me, Mr. President, that's not going to happen. Because ever since the Clinton administration, uh, senior officers learned that you don't have to be a combat hero to become a general or an admiral. You, you just have to kiss enough presidential butt and you'll find your way up into the stars. You know? <laughs> uh, and when you look around today um, at some of these people, I hesitate to, to name names because they can still bring you back on active duty and court-martial me for demeaning a senior officer. So I won't mention any names, but there was one in particular who was a four-star, and he was in charge of uh, uh, counterinsurgency operations in Afghanistan, and his top combat award was a bronze star, um, which, is, which is not a silver star, and which is not an Army Cross, or it's not a, a Medal of Honor. It's, it's a low-level combat award. One. Better than a Purple Heart. One, well, actually, I believe the Purple Heart is senior to that particular weapon. <laughs> okay. But, but in any case, um, uh, and here's, here's, a, here's the person who, uh, uh, receiving four-star pay, was in a position to turn around to the President of the United States and say, respectfully, sir, no, 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 we're not doing that. Uh, but nobody did, because you know what? It's always nice to be in line for another star. Uh, and, and so now there's an integrity issue here. Why do we pay these people? Do we pay them to be yes men for, for a politician? Or do we pay them for their expertise in the conduct of war? And if we do that, it, this is what we should expect back from them, is 
respectful decline. No, sir, we're not going to do that. And if you insist on doing that, here's my resignation. Is that, that true that, that that's the promotion? Isn't that true that the promotion they're ultimately looking for is the board of directors of Raytheon? Well, probably. Yeah. So I'll, I'll continue. I don't think you're finished. So I'm going to let you get back to your thought and then. Uh, well, I was, I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine the other day and he was relating to me a conversation. Uh, he was getting, I guess, close to retirement and, uh, and he was a full colonel, and, and his boss, a brigadier general, came in to chat with him one day, and he said, you know, Jim, he says, you're never going to make general officer, he said, uh, because uh, uh, you don't like to speak the party line. Um, now, I, I think that anybody who doesn't want to speak the party line should be in primary zone for, for general officer, <laughs> uh, Agreed. personally. Um because the most important role of a, of a military officer is leadership. It, it should be, it must be quality leadership and everything mm -hmm. else, everything else being secondary. So anyone who assumes that an officer who never made general somehow was deficient in leadership, it's ludicrous. It's a ludicrous article article on its face. It's far more likely that the officer who never made general was a better officer, a better leader than most everyone else because at considerable cost to himself, he felt that leadership and moral courage was far more important than getting that promotion into the the uh, the flag rank. Uh, yeah, go I'm ahead. Thinking Ed. of this, I'm thinking of this guy that just basically, in effect, resigned when he came out and challenged uh, the upper echelons of command. I actually a marine, was he not? I can't remember yeah, his name right uh, at the moment. A girl by the name of Scheller. That's the guy. Yeah. And he just basically, he said, you know, I'm the guy, you know, who's saying something when you guys are the guys who should be saying something. I knew immediately there's no, and he knew there's no hope for him, you know, in, in the core after that. But I, in business, I've worked with a number of uh, officers who have been captains and colonels and, you know, they never made general, but man, they have a sense of leadership and of responsibility and structure and, you know, well, uh, a chain of command. I think if the generals were the ones who actually had to write, hand write the letters to the parents and to the loved ones of lost soldiers, that they, they might not be so quick to be the yes men. Instead, they pass that down the line and it doesn't affect them. Um, they don't realize that their decisions are what's either going to kill or keep their soldiers or their troops alive. That's my opinion. But uh, they're well, not I close enough to it. In the system that we have, if you, I, I don't understand why anyone who, at, at the rank of Major General, that, that's someone who would be in command of a division, an infantry division, or, or, or an equivalent. We, hey folks, I'm gonna hopefully be able to talk to the Colonel Lamore after these messages. Pastor Richard Dietering on WAM. Pastor Rick will be joining you momentarily, but once again, in the meantime, I'm Derek Stone with another moment on sports. 
The Detroit Tigers defeated the Tampa Bay Rays 10-4 last night. Jonathan Scope blasted a grand slam homer to plate Nico Goodrum, Willie Castro, and Akil Badu in the seventh inning. Victor Reyes followed Scope's monstrous hit with a three-run moonshot of his own to send home Eric Haas and Goodrum one inning later. Jamer Candelario crushed a double to score Badu and Robbie Grossman in the sixth inning, and Haas belted a solo bomb in the fifth inning to round out the Tigers scoring. Tyler Alexander allowed one run on five hits while recording four strikeouts in four and one-third innings of work. Jose Cisnero earned his fourth win of the season in relief despite giving up three runs in the seventh inning. Now here's your Moment of Clarity host, Pastor Rick Dietering. And Lashona Tova to all my Jewish friends who just finished celebrating their new year, Rosh Hashanah. Um, we are now taking the time to remember a little bit about uh, 9-11, the 20th anniversary, where it took us. Um, it took us to war. And then for 20 years we fought, and then just before this just before the 20th anniversary of 9-11, our current president withdrew us in a way that, I don't know, Colonel, you are, you're about my age. Uh, you, you may remember the withdrawal from Vietnam. Could you, sure do. Do you, could you say, in your opinion, now this is my opinion, I want to just see if you see it. Do you see any similarities to the, to the abandonment of Vietnam to what happened on this last takeout of of Afghanistan? I do um, see similarities uh, and how we, how we left and rapidity of the withdrawal and leaving. Uh, you know, we, we convinced the Vietnamese that they could rely on us and then we demonstrated to them they were foolish for thinking that. Uh, and I think it's pretty much the same for, I'm sure there are people in Afghanistan that, that uh, especially in the uh, urban areas, uh, that would dearly like us to still be there. They they were hoping that they could have a country someday, that they could have a democracy someday, that that women would have rights um, and be protected from abusive husbands. That's what they had in their minds. They had that in their minds because we convinced them that that's one of the reasons we were there. Um, but uh, yeah. once again, we've uh, we've taken people who trusted us and proved to them again beyond any question that they were stupid to, to do that. And, you know, I, I hate to say this. I was reading some of this stuff uh, online, and there were people in China, um, government officials, pointing that same thing out as you can't trust the Americans. Look, they do this every time, <laughs> is what they were saying, comparing this last withdrawal to, to Vietnam. You know, but they, they, they abandoned know, their friends. I, let me demonstrate how ludicrous that whole thing was. So, so we have this, uh, we're in Afghanistan, we got people there, people on the ground doing the job that they were trained to do, absolutely doing exceptional work. Uh, so who is supplying this Taliban enemy? Who's doing that? Well, it's the Pakistanis that are doing that. Well, who, 
who is sending all these fighters? I mean, we keep killing all these Taliban guys, and then some more show up. Where are they coming from? The answer to that question, well, they're coming from Pakistan. Now, this is the same Pakistan that uh, receives, I mean, I don't know how much it is. I'll bet it's more than a dollar and four and eight every year. So these people who are supposed to be American allies are actually working against the interests of the United States and the American people. Well, they're also part of the Chinese Belt Road. The, uh, I mean, they're highly under the influence of the Chinese at this point also, right? Well, yeah, I mean, did you, did you ever wonder how in the world the Chinese ever came up with an exact duplicate of the F-35, the most secret airplane in the arsenal of, you know, how did that happen? Or drones. Um, how, how did the Chinese come up with our, our drones? How did that happen? Well, one of them was their, their connection to Iran and the fact that we did not give a destruct button to a drone that was uh, that drifted into Iran, and we just oh let it land safely. Yeah, that that kind of stuff. Thanks, Obama. Well, so yeah. I mean, uh, so I mean, you know, we're what what did we think was going to be the end result of Afghanistan if if Pakistan, our alleged ally, is actually fighting? I mean, we become we become a surrogate. Now let me ask. I'm going to ask you a question, and. I posted on my blog this uh, uh, critique, I believe you commented on it, this critique of us leaving all these weapons behind. And another blogger who um, claims to have information of an intelligence nature, and I think he does, but he posited that uh, oh, all this stuff was demilitarized. You know, like it didn't really have any top secret value. There was no, that basically giving over these uh, uh, patchy uh, gunships, that's no big deal. The Chinese knew how they worked already. There's no secrets lost here. Or the military radio communication devices. I mean, do you have any input on that? I mean, I think just giving them all the arms and ammunition when I can't hardly buy ammunition in this country right now, we give it all. We could have sold that on the surplus market here and a lot of people, a lot of citizens would be happy. No, I don't have any in insight to that. Uh, again, I, I think that a lot of the weapons that people are talking about left behind were weapons that we intended all along for use by the Afghan Defense Force, including including the aircraft, because they do have an air force. Um, so, but to to what extent we left avionics and, and all that in the birds, I, I couldn't say. I would, be, well, I would be aghast if we found out that they, they had our very sophisticated uh, I assume when we see a Taliban flying an Apache, it's somebody that we trained in the in the Afghan Air Force, and that he's actually was Taliban or has, for his own safety, gone over to the Taliban. Would that be an accurate uh, assumption? Yeah, uh, and, let, and let's talk about that. I mean, they. Uh, so, who are these people? I mean, we can say they're Afghans. We can say, well, they're Taliban. We can say that they're. You know, Sunni Muslims, and we can make you know, de make all kinds of categories for classifying these people. But what they really are is just simply Afghans that have been living a certain way for the past two thousand years. Um, and so, so people have asked this question: What happened to the three hundred thousand Afghan soldiers that we paid for? And the answer is, they went back to the roots, like everyone else in Afghanistan. Um, 
and and they went back to the warlords and they, now you've got the people in the southern area and the people in the northern area and the, the Taliban is all about trying once again to re, to unite those uh, warlords whether they're going to be successful at it I have no idea but honestly I don't even care I'd like to uh, I want to go back to the humanitarian part of this withdrawal because I, I see that this the withdrawal now is the culmination of all the effects of our soldiers and everything else that started at and because of 9-11. And, uh, and as you said, uh, early on in Ed's program and again in ours, the, the cause of us being over there changed three times even underneath the administration of George W. And I talked started this break by comparing the withdrawal from Afghanistan to that of Vietnam. And another thing that comes to a real strong mind in that is when we left uh, Vietnam, we had a lot of Laotians, uh, the mountain people that helped us out. Uh, and we made promises that we would get them out of there after we left, we never did. And they fought for a long time. Finally, a little bit under Ronald Reagan, they started coming over. There was a huge uh, Hmong population in Wisconsin now, or a rather large one. Uh, but for the most part, they, they went to other places like Tibet for for safety, then all of a sudden, uh, after 9-11, and they passed a number of laws here, breaking down against um, terrorists, President Obama de declared the Hmongs in Tibet to be uh, terrorists. So we couldn't help them out even now, even though they were helping us out, and that's why he called them terrorists. Uh, we left people behind that helped us out, and we're putting their lives, and put their lives on the line by just helping us out. I. I mentioned, uh, I have a dear friend who was a, a translator for the United States military. He was in Iraq, but he was a translator and he is now over here and very thankful, but he put his life on the line the second he started helping the United States military. So did any translator over in Afghanistan and we left them behind with the promise that we would help get them out. And yet uh, here we are breaking our promises again. So, and it breaks my heart because our military, if you were allowed to, if the military was allowed to do what militaries does, I think things would have turned out a whole lot different in Afghanistan. Uh, Colonel, as you said, if you would have asked uh, 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 Corporal what was going on, I think he said Corporal, maybe I was wrong, uh, what was going on, uh, first he'd tell you it's not going to go good, right? Exactly. What, what happens when you let... The field, the field officers do what they're supposed to do in a war compared to letting the politicians do it. Well, okay, so now you're talking about, you know, a very serious problem um, that people in the military talk about quite a bit, especially those below the rank of general. Um, maybe we're just, maybe we just have an attitude problem, but, but we're concerned about the politicization of the military. Uh, there is... There is politics that exists in every organization. You learn to deal with it. And you, you, you kind of hope that it's not mean and nasty politics, but it's just human nature. And and uh, But when you politicize the military, when you make the hierarchy of the military a bunch of yes-men to, to the civilian leadership, uh, then, then you've, you've done some severe damage to the military and its credibility. Uh, when... When, as I said earlier, uh, 
speaking your mind in good faith and being willing to tender your resignation if, if the issue is a matter of principle, that's what I call integrity. But if you put those things aside, because what's most important to you as an individual is getting that third star, then, then we have a problem. Uh, right. Uh, now, I, I was saying at the break, your, your uh, grandson is in good hands in the Marine Corps. Uh, the NCOs, the, the young officers, the field officers, fantastic Marines. And they're going to take good care of him. And uh, and who knows, he may be on your show one day as a lieutenant colonel, uh, retired, and uh, and give you all sorts of uh, interesting insights. But, but uh, that isn't our concern. The concern is in the hierarchy where advancement, personal advancement, uh, becomes more important than the military mission and executing the mission on behalf of the U.S. Constitution and the American people. That's what concerns us. Amen for that. And thank you for soldiers just like you. Go ahead, Ed. I remember a book and movie back, I think, in the 60s. It starred uh, um, Burt Lancaster called Seven Days in May. I remember and the that. Premise, pardon me? I remember that. Yeah, and the premise was that a uh, military cabal would overthrow a perceived leftist president. And what we've found instead is a leftist president has overthrown the military leadership in this country. You know, uh, we've seen a number of, particularly under Obama, uh, there was a cleaning out of the general staff of conservatives. And then that's all, I don't know from personal experience, uh, you know, what the makeup of of the general staff was before that but i just know that there has been a from reports i've read that there's been a cleansing of the upper ranks so that all you're left with is is toadies and political lefties go ahead one, my, one, of, one of my heroes is a is a retired now retired army general four star by the name of ham general ham was in charge of africom at the time of benghazi and General Ham was responsible for that particular area, as you recall. Mm -hmm. General Ham had uh, organized a strike force of Marines out of uh, a base in Italy uh, mm -hmm. to go in and rescue the, the Benghazi group. Um, and he was told that the president uh, had not approved the operation and to stand down. General Ham decided for himself, I'm a four-star general, uh, I'm responsible for what happens here, and I'm not standing down. And Obama then contacted his uh, his deputy, uh, sent the deputy down with armed guards to arrest General Ham and put him arrest in quarters. Uh, and then a few days later, he was in retired land. Uh, so here's an officer who I felt really does have integrity. But you're right. This is what happens. I mean. None of us in the military want to see a, a military cabal. We don't want to see the military in charge of the United States. None of that is ever discussed in the military that I'm aware of. Uh, but uh, and so civilians should run the show. We all agree to that. However, whenever you cannot, in principle, obey the orders of your civilian master, then you owe it to your country to resign. I'll... Um, I I'm a manager. I've managed a few businesses and I always said you hire the right people to do the right jobs. You hire the right people and if they do the right job, they make you look smart. 
I think as a president, if you put the right people in charge of the military and they do the right thing, um, they make you look well as a civilian. But what we have now, as if I heard you right, Colonel, is we have a lot of a lot of people that are searching for that star that they put any any of their knowledge to the side just so they can get that next star. And, and it's all political. And I think that would happen if you had a Republican or a Democrat in office is if they're that weak, that they're willing to do whatever it takes to get that star rather than doing the job they're supposed to do to get that star. Um, that. If you have that kind of weakness at top, that can weaken the whole military. And I think that's what I'm hearing you say, Colonel, and correct me if I'm wrong. That's what I'm saying, yeah. There's a There was a letter that came out recently from a number of retired general officers critical of uh, Biden and his handling of Afghanistan. And then there was talk about the fact that these guys were still subject to the UCMJ and could suffer forfeiture of their pension and um, and rank. I'm not sure if that's true. You have any feelings on that? Uh, I think it's Article 88 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice that prohibits uh, active duty and retired officers from criticizing any member of the government, um, including his the president, the vice president, and members of his cabinet. That did not apply to the general officers who were complaining about Trump, though, right? Apparently no. not. No. Yeah. Okay. You know, a story yeah. about generals, and if I might. I was hearing this story recently about uh, General Patton, and when he was, you know, moving across Europe, there was a town, and it was in front of him, and he asked Eisenhower, should I take this town? And uh, Eisenhower said, uh, no, it would divert you too much, take too much away from what you're doing, it bog you down, don't do it. And I guess a couple hours later, you know, Patton reports to Eisenhower, hey, I took the town, what do you want me to do, give it back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that may be a true story, but I, I would be surprised because Patton always thought that it would be easier to get forgiveness than to get permission. So, so. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he was that type of general. Uh, I want the folks out there, uh, we only have about eight minutes left. The phones are open back up if you want to share with us uh, where you were. Um, but if not, Take a moment today to remember where you were on 9-11, and if you weren't born yet, please understand over 3,000 Americans lost their life that day when we were attacked. Take a moment to remember them and those that went in to the buildings, the firefighters and the police and everything else, and then to help take care of the problem of those who attacked us, our military stepped up. Please keep our military in mind and keep all the... Uh, uh, Frontline workers, the police, firemen, military, keep them in prayer and thank them for their services when you see them. And uh, Colonel, I, I, I thank you tremendously. First of all, I have to thank you. You put my heart at ease about my grandson. I think he's going to be in good hands. So <laughs> you convinced me. Um, Ed, you want to lead us in prayer? If I'm no, reading your note. You would. Okay, I, I can do that. I'm a trained yeah. professional. Try this at That's home, right. folks. <laughs> <laughs> Heavenly Father, I thank you this day to have the ability to 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 discuss our military with, with uh, the colonel. And I just pray that a blessing upon his family and uh, all those around him, Lord. And I thank, thank you for providing him. I thank him for his service. 
I thank all of our military for their service, Lord. Just strengthen our military, strengthen those that serve. Strengthen our firefighters, strengthen our police officers, Lord, in this nation today where they may not feel as appreciated as they should be. Let them know that they serve a higher purpose. And Lord, I just pray for a blessing on Ed and Derek and all those who work with me on my show on Moment of Clarity, that you will continue to bless them, Lord. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, Colonel, I can't say enough. Thank you for your service. I know we have about six minutes left, maybe not quite six, maybe seven, five, something like that. Uh, any last Four. words you'd like to say, Colonel? Uh, the only, I was going to say the only general that I uh, really respect and and I'm afraid of is my wife, and she she uh, she tells me what to do, and I I go through this anticipatory set, and I I I comply with her instructions exactly. Yeah, I'm the same way. My wife scares the hell out of me, and uh, <laughs> and she knows it. And <laughs> wise men, wise men. I'm in yes. the company of very wise men. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I learned I learned some. Yes, we haven't been married that long, but I'm a, I'm on a I'm a fast learner. So, I learned, for example, when she's cutting the grass, is not the time to ask if dinner's ready. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's right. I learned that the hard way. Yeah, it almost ran me over with the lawnmower. You imported your wife, right? Yeah, from a former enemy of the United States. Well, Canada. Uh, no, that was that was you know Great Britain. She's uh, she's a wonderful lady. Uh, took me all over her country to and, and met uh, just wonderful people, really. They just talk funny and they drive on the wrong side of the road. But I mean, besides that. <laughs> and warm beer. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I was, I was I'll, younger, I'll, 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 just, I'll just say, I'll just, I'll just say that, uh, you know, she's, she's British and, uh, and she's, she's got a green card. She's here, she's here legally. Uh, but she, I, I have never run into anyone as patriotic uh, American patriotic as she is. I mean, it just absolutely breaks, you know, makes my heart feel warm. She loves our flag. She loves our service people who served our flag. She's, she wishes that in, in England that the people would would acknowledge their armed forces the way we acknowledge ours. It's just uh, really neat. Real quick on that note, I was going to ask you, you, with your wife being British, does she know how to cook? But instead, I'll take this color instead. Uh, Gary. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble now, Reverend. Hey, everyone. I, uh, <laughs> Hello. Where I was at 9-11 was just up Woodward, up on Square Lake. Um, but that that's not really important. What's important is what happened to us on 9-11 and how we felt as a nation, vulnerable uh, and uh, weak for, for a short period of time. Yep. And, and as much as that affected me, and it did negatively for many, many years, what happened uh, during the uh, retreat uh, and route of Afghanistan hit me a lot harder because what happened at 9-11 presumably was an external force that came upon us, and we could just drop 100 tons of steel on it and fix it. But now the problem we have in our government, we can't drop tons of steel on anything. Right. Uh, it's all here, internal, and the enemy is within, to coin a phrase, from uh, Trevor yeah. Loudon. Um, hey, Gary, I, I got to say thanks for calling, but we're coming up close to the end here. So call again next week, and I'll let you finish that thought, please. Um, because we are coming. Do I hear music yet or no? 
Yeah, I do. Colonel, thank you. I'm sorry I got you in trouble with your wife, or am I in trouble with your I don't know. Someone's well, in trouble. You're in trouble with my wife. That's what I'm Okay. I, I just asked a question. Ed, love you. Love you all. Bless, have a blessed day. I'll see you next week on a Moment of Clarity. You've been listening to a Moment of Clarity on Wham Talk 1600 with your host, Pastor Richard Dietering. Be sure to tune in again next week right here on Wham Radio, 